0: Hey everyone, Jesse Jackson here, and I'm announcing a contest. Starting now through the end of February, all you have to do to win a copy of Nikki Germain's Springsteen at Liberty Hall is to go to iTunes and leave a review For the podcast. Hopefully a good one. I would love nothing but five stars. In a three or four sentence review. About why you love the podcast. And why other people should listen to the podcast. Once you post it. Send me a screenshot. Of your review. Email it to setlustingbruce at gmail.com. And everyone who. Submits. That. Um, review a screenshot of that review will be entered into a drawing to win Nikki's book. If you include your mailing address, I will send you a Setlusting Bruce sticker as a way of saying thank you. So that's all it needs. Go iTunes, rate and review the show, make a screenshot, email it SetlustingBruce@gmail.com, and who knows, you might be enjoying this wonderful book absolutely free and now let's get the show going
1: I think it was high school I had some friends who were into him before I was I think like the first album that I remember really loving I loved the river and I think I just loved the joy that was in it just I don't know this kind of unabashed Joy in the world a little bit and expressing it that way and then the way the band played and and I think I remember seeing that video that went around a lot when I was a kid of Rosalita and just sure. again just that exuberance it I really spoke to me at the time so again, I was this nerdy little writer theater kid and this I don't know just it was just so cool and fun and exuberant I guess is a great word to use.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. I am so thrilled to have a new friend joining me. She is a writer, and when I asked her, what's your favorite musician, she goes, Bruce, of course, and I said, (laughs) you will feel right at home, and Shepard, welcome to Set Lusting Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little about yourself.
1: I'm a writer and I've always made my living as a writer. For 20 years, though, I, I did that in the magazine world. Okay. Um, I was The editor of a travel industry magazine. And we had a sister magazine that was a sports industry magazine. So I covered travel and sports for about 20 years. And then a few years ago, after we got bought out, I was able to get back to writing books, which was my first love and landed with a great publisher called Four Horsemen Publications. And so I have two series I'm writing for them. And one of them is a mystery series about a mystery-solving travel writer. So it takes all of my experiences from 20 years in the travel industry and throws a murder in here and there. So essentially those are those books. So it's Destination Maui, Destination Monterey, and Destination Lake Tahoe are the three that are currently out. I have another series called the University Chronicles. They're satiric romantic comedies so the first one is the war council and then the second one will be coming out next year which is called the italy affair which will be a sequel to the war council
0: when so, does the italy come out
1: it comes it'll come out next summer okay. i don't know the exact date at the moment it's gets okay. yeah, through my publisher next next month and then they'll okay. start the production process
0: yeah yeah behind the scenes rob rob southgate was uh-huh. the owned the network when i started doing set listing bruce i was part okay. of his network and i love the story i was telling him i wanted to do a bruce podcast and he said sure that's fine and when he hung up the phone he told martha his wife i said we're great we have a springsteen podcast i think it'll last the season which nice. is 13 <laughs> episodes and okay. so a thousand episodes later Right. Uh, Yeah. And Rob is in charge of a lot of publicity with the Four Horsemen. And he had sent out a message to people. And so that's why I wasn't sure. I knew that was our connection. Most of the writers have not been Springsteen fans. They have just been someone who loves talking music. So
1: at one point they they do for marketing purposes. They sometimes have us answer little questionnaires. And at one point they sent around one. And I think they said favorite song. And I wrote Dancing in the Dark. And so I think I'm like, oh, that must have been the connection he put together. Yeah, that
0: (laughs) That is great. Yeah. I always like to start at the beginning. And so since you are both a Springsteen fan and a writer, you're going to get two origin questions. Okay. So the first one is where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were younger?
1: So I grew up in, in the Southern California area. I was born in Los Angeles. I'm like a fourth generation Californian, which as a friend of mine says, means my ancestors were lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> because let's throw everything on a covered wagon and go across the U.S. That's a exactly. Little yes. <laughs> I grew up in Southern California, mostly in Manhattan Beach and then down in, in Costa Mesa. And we had very, my family had very eclectic tastes in music. Um, my dad loved Johnny Cash. We heard a lot of Johnny Cash. I'm trying to think when he had parties, he wanted everyone to leave. He'd throw in an Ernest Tubbs album and that got everyone out. So so there was a lot of that kind of music from my childhood. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to get back to my origin story, but I'm curious. I find there's two kinds of people Mm -hmm. at one, they embrace their parents' music where they specifically expand their love of music but never abandon their parents music the right. other is they reject it they right. go rebel and then when they're 30 and what's funny is you mentioned him but my usual example is and when you're 30 you come back and go you know that Johnny Cash guy yeah. he wasn't too bad maybe yeah, exactly. he had something yeah, yeah. yeah. So, which one was you
1: I don't think, I don't feel like I ever rebelled. I remember going through, as a young girl, I went through a John Denver phase. I think a lot of girls go through. So there was a progression more to me. But then I also loved, I remember as a child, as a probably, I think we were in uh, middle school, but we just loved that original Jesus Christ Superstar uh, concept album. So it was all in that rock, but soft rock kind of phase of of music. And yeah. All
0: right. So going back to... I like to ask writers this question, were you raised in a family of readers? I was always a reader.
1: That's funny. That's funny. No one's ever really asked me that question before, but I don't really remember my parents reading all that much. I was the kid reading the Nancy Drew every weekend and just loved books. I feel like my parents liked books, but I don't remember them being voracious readers. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, similar to me, my, as I got older, I realized my mom was a huge reader and my dad did certainly Zan Gray and Louis Lamar, Louis Lamar. I just, I always had a book in front of my face. That was some of the things that for the longest time, I resisted going eBooks. I liked the feel of a book in my hand. I still do to a certain degree. But when I realized that one if with the Kindle app on your phone you always have a book with you exactly yeah I was <laughs> like, oh and when you realize that if you're on Wi-Fi, you're reading on your Kindle, you save it and then later that day you're on you pull it up on your phone goes, oh, this is what page you're on Jesse do you want to start from there yeah. I went, Okay, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Well, and as someone who worked as a travel writer for 20 years, yeah. just the, the ability to have 20 books on something that light was a, was a lifesaver. Because I, when I would travel, I loved picking up books at, at bookstores where I visited. But just knowing I always had it with me in this very light was a great, I loved that.
0: Yeah, I would always bring, before Kendall, I would always bring three or four books anytime I was going to travel. Even over weekend, I would make sure I have two or three because the idea of not having a book exactly
1: it's is horrifying.
0: Yeah, horrifying. <laughs> exactly. And I remember co work. I would travel with coworkers, and of course, while we're waiting for the plane to for us to board, we're walking around, and there's a bookstore, and I'm going in. And I remember once Denise specifically said, "How many books do you have in your suitcase?" Exactly. <laughs> Why are you looking in the bookstore? There might be something I want.
1: Yeah, yeah, you never know. You never never know. Pre-Kindle, I used to take a lot of New Yorkers because they were at least light and dense. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. They they gave you a lot of great material in not too heavy a package.
0: Yes, I would do that sometimes too. Back when Entertainment Weekly was an actual print magazine, I would, if I knew I was going to travel, I'd save up magazines and to read those in the plane. Yeah. Right, because it would you be really leave good. them around
1: as you go too. I would leave yeah. give them to flight attendants love when you hand them a mag. Used to love it. I don't know if we do yeah. it anymore, but they used yeah, to love it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, that sounds great.
2: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds.
0: So were you talked about Anne being a writer, a reader. Were you a storyteller? Did you yes, write yeah. stories early?
1: Yes, definitely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Talk and, to and me a little bit on, about and that. And put
1: them on as plays in the garage. And I did all of that stuff.
0: <laughs> really? Yeah. So you always had that creative bent?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I just always loved making up make-believe worlds and living, living in those worlds
0: a lot. Yeah. Is there, was, now I'm going to probably overshare here. My dad was in the army, so we moved around a lot. And we never, I counted once, I went to 12 different schools from kindergarten through eighth grade. So I learned very quickly that if you formed friendships, attachments, you were going to have to leave them. They were either going to be stationed or gone. So books never left so that's why i was really attached is there a reason why you loved telling stories was there an emotional reason or just you had that creativity bone
1: i think it was more the creativity bone we only moved once but it was in fifth grade which is a tough grade to move i think because you i really established a group of friends at my elementary school And suddenly I'm yanked out and know nobody at the middle school ended up going. I think books were definitely a refuge then. Again, I was a total Nancy Drew fan and then morphed into Agatha Christie's and all of the mysteries. But I think they were definitely, especially during that transition period, they were a lifeline.
0: You talked about loving fiction and loving book writing. So how did you get into magazines and traveling? writing travel stories
1: originally i wanted to work first i wanted to work actually in the film industry i wanted to write for the film industry so i got my master's in film and television at ucla and very quickly and was writing and pitching and i had some job worked on some tv shows and but i very quickly learned that i didn't love the film industry itself okay and the way they treat writers and so I'm how else does a writer make a living and answered an ad for a this, small travel industry magazine and where they treat writers really well. (laughs) You know, they send us on these fabulous trips and I'm like, oh, this is, I like this. This is very nice. And one of the things I learned in graduate school in film school is screenwriting also ultimately isn't as fulfilling as writing a book, at least for me, because you're only providing the blueprint for the piece. And I learned that making my own film. We all, I took a short story. I wrote the screenplay. I directed it, I edited it, I did everything. And the final product is really far from the screenplay because things change in production, they change in editing and what that final product isn't the same as how it started. And so that screenplay really is just a blueprint of the final piece, whereas a book is the world. It is the whole complete world and you get to be in control of that. And so I morphed into writing books and just enjoying that a lot more. Mm
0: -hmm. The so I want to go back to music. I'm going to switch yeah. topics now. Can you remember when you first discovered Bruce and what about his music spoke to you? Can you articulate that?
1: Yeah, I think it was high school. I had some friends who were into him before I was. I think, like, the first album that I remember really loving, I loved The River. And okay. I think I just loved the joy that was in it. Just I don't know this kind of unabashed joy in the world a little bit, and expressing it that way, and then the way the band played. And and I think I remember seeing that video that went around a lot when I was a kid of Rosalita, and just sure. again just that exuberance. It I really spoke to me at the time. So yeah. again, I was this nerdy little writer theater kid, and this I don't know just. It was just so cool and fun and exuberant, I guess is a great word to use.
0: Yeah. Did I always like to preface this, and and that the number of times you've seen Bruce perform live is not a fair barometer. Right. How big of a fan you are based on circumstances, location, economics, age. It could be some people who are fast major fans have never seen him. There's other people because they grew up on the East coast at the right time have seen him hundreds of times. Right. But do, are you someone who counts? And if so, how many times?
1: <laughs> I, I don't really count, but I, I was trying to add it up earlier. I think I've seen him six times. What okay. I use as my barometer is that I was lucky enough to see two amazing shows at Either end. So I, I got to go to the final show of the 1985 Born in the USA tour at the LA Coliseum. Okay. We My sister had gotten tickets to one of the earlier shows and we all went and it was so amazing. I thought I got to find a way to get another a ticket because they ended up rescheduling it. So it was like a week later. So I had a week to figure out. So in those days you had to go through the classified ads and look for people selling their tickets. So I found a guy selling it one single ticket for $50 and I bought it. And that was just one of the, it is the most amazing show I've ever seen. It was five hours long. He had 90,000 people all dancing together and made it feel, what I, I thought was so amazing was he made it feel like we were in his garage listening to him play even though there were 90,000 people in the LA Coliseum and wow. just the sheer feeling of that group of people just in all together. And it was that final, that was the final show of that tour, which it was one of his biggest tour. And just, it just was amazing. On the flip side, I saw um, a few years ago, I was lucky enough to get tickets to see Springsteen on Broadway. Okay. Broadway show. So it's the complete opposite of this stripped down, just Bruce with Patty for a couple songs. This small, I think, less than a thousand people in the audience, and that was just an amazing experience. Just my husband and I saw it. It was at Christmas. It was six years ago, and we ran out afterwards and ran down Fifth Avenue, looking at all the street lights and the decorations, and just had this joy that came out of watching that concert as well. And so it's just amazing to me. I got to see two amazing ninety thousand people and a thousand people and the full band and just him and both were just equally amazing experiences. And I've seen other concerts and they were very good. They're always very good, but those just are unbeatable. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: Um. But that was a perfect example of perfect. What I wanted to ask and ask is, are there stories from shows you attended? So you've already told great to, are, are there other things that memorable concerts? I just had a guy on that, he said, because I was asking him about the static set list on this tour, <laughs> right? That there's been a lot of noise. And I'd love to hear your thought about that. But he said, the set list is the score of a sporting event, the final score. It right. tells you nothing about the event itself. And so any stories from shows you did attend and seen that you want to share?
1: Because that the, the, the spring scene on Broadway was very set. It was boom. But the storytelling that he weaved in and out, it I don't know, it just was so magical. It was just such a, a, a great show in that way. And it, yeah, the same with the... That, again, that final Born in the USA show where they, they threw yeah. in a bunch of extra songs on that one. They throw in Rosalita, they threw in Twist Twisted and Shouted. And he threw in everything I think he'd ever done to that point in that show. Yeah. One kind of funny one was, and I know he's talked about this, but when they opened the Staples Center here in Los Angeles, now it's yeah. Crypto Arena, whatever it is, my boss got a bunch of his tickets. So we went, we had nosebleed seats. That's when we learned that it had the worst acoustics I have ever heard, I heard later that he hated, like he didn't just hated performing there. And when he would come to LA, and I think he made a joke about all the people in the rich suites, which we were not, we were in the nosebleeds, but, and they were so bad that you're like, I'm sorry, is that born to run or thunder road? I can't even tell here what he's playing. And I know later he he complained about that too. But then when he would come back to LA, he used to, to play at the sports arena, which is this old sports arena on the USC campus the old basketball arena, they opened a new one and he's preferred playing in the old, a little grungy, but just had more of a real feeling than playing this big barn of a, an arena with bad acoustic. Yeah. So that, that...
0: yeah. The Jerry world up here in Dallas, where I'm coming from, the AT&T stadium where the Cowboys play is absolutely horrible acoustics i've heard from multiple people that do not go to a show there even though they host big concerts because that acoustics are just horrible and what's we were lucky enough in 2016 um 2015 i'll have to think now that I'm, someone's going to yell at me, but I was. <laughs> it was at the end of the river tour, the second river tour, where he played MetLife, and we were there. My son and I flew in. We had never had seen him in the Jersey, the homeland, right? Right. And we were amazed at MetLife Stadium, how good the sound was, considering it was an open air. Well, you know, I, arena. that's the
1: difference because the Coliseum was amazing, and that's open air, but. Yeah. Actually, when they opened the that Dallas Stadium, I got to go because of the Sports Magazine. They invited me. Right, but it's but the fact that it's semi-covered, I yeah. think, is probably it makes the acoustics harder to do because yeah. the Coliseum is that open, completely open air, and it was amazing. The sound was amazing, and then this much smaller arena, horrible. So yeah, you just I yeah. think it depends on the design of the arena.
0: And the Death Star is absolutely beautiful, Jerry. It's- now I think. The Soho has now passed it, I think. And I am I think Jerry is incredibly jealous.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure.
0: but it was absolutely beautiful. My son and I went there. We've gone to a cowboy game. We've done a tour. He got me tickets because he wanted to go to WrestleMania, and I went them there. Nice. And it's absolutely beautiful. Jeans, artwork everywhere, and it is right. just a beautiful – it's very comfortable seats, too. Yeah. They – I'm a man of size. And I remember, like, at Texas Stadium, you had to quint because right. my butt's too big. But yeah, just not built for beautiful acoustics. Right, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, the sight lines are great. So Things And they have those really cool suites that are field level. We got to do that, where you're like, you're looking straight out at them, which
0: was very yeah, cool. Yeah, that is, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to go back to your writing for a minute. Are, sure. uh, since you covered sports and travel, are there events that stand out that you were able to cover through your career?
1: Yeah, I'm a huge tennis player. And so one of the most fun things is been going to, I went been to the US Open a few times. I've been to Wimbledon and it's fun to go behind, be able to go to the behind the scenes and see how they put it all together. Um, trying to think of some other ones that were particularly. The funny thing is that that we actually launched the sports magazine when I first started there. And when we first started it, we would just go to everything we could for a while. And the, that magazine kind of covered sports from an event perspective, like for it was for event organizers. So I went to football games and this and on the field. And then there's a certain point where you're going, it's really nice watching it on TV. <laughs> it's exhausting when you're down covering everything all the time. But no, I've gotten to see some, I think I've been in so many Talk about great stadiums! Like Detroit has a great stadium, and Dallas has a great stadium, and it's really fun to see all the different stadiums and how they reflect the city where they are. Yeah, we've just we've done a we did a lot of events with Olympians, which is always very inspiring to, oh, yeah. to meet people who've done these amazing things, and so that that was that was a lot of fun. And then you get to meet. At one of our, we did conferences with the magazine. One of them, I got to meet Metal Ark Lemon, who was like a hero growing up. You know I mean? It's so fun to meet those people. Rosie Greer for a while, I would ghostwrite a column for Rosie Greer. So that was like, I was him for a little while. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So there was a lot of fun stuff that they, getting on the inside of that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. When did you decide and what was there an event that made you go, I've always wanted to write novels. I'm going to do it. Was there something that was the road to Damascus moment, so to speak?
1: Yeah. And so I had the first one I had written, which was the rom-com I had actually written a few decades ago before I took the job. Then it went up on a shelf, you know, worked for the magazine for 20 years. And then we got bought out. We got the, my company was acquired. So I took the buyout and went freelance, and that just allowed me a lot more time to get back to writing the novels, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and I'd had this idea about writing a mystery based on my travel writing, and it came on this one trip I was on, and it started at the Algonquin Hotel, and um, then we were taking these restored trains up to Montreal and then over to Portland, Maine. And so the very first night we're sitting at the round table at the Algonquin hotel, the famous round table where all the writers went. And I'm meeting all the people who were on the press trip. And what they would do on these trips is they bring together six to 10 writers from all over and send, introduce us to something. So we're sitting there. And one of the other writers was just one of the most obnoxious people I've ever met. And so I went back up to my room and I called my husband and he said, Oh, so if there's a murder on the train, we know who it's going to be. And I thought, that's actually a really great idea for a book or a series because we're thrown together with these people and, and some some of them are difficult and there's some you might want to push off the cliff. So, so that's that's how that idea came about. So really just when my job ended, I had the freedom and the time to be able to start working on them in, in more earnest.
0: Is there why this particular genre, Anne?
1: I've always loved mysteries. I think that's a lot of it. they
0: always been my favorite
1: genre i've also i enjoy humor so i the, and travel so i try to put all three in the book the the lead character has a sense of humor with the way she sees the world and so
0: i get to throw a lot of that in there as well
1: mm-hmm.
0: what you talked about a little bit of this of one of the reasons you enjoy writing is you control the world you're bidding building. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah. Um, a friend of mine once said that he thought I wrote to figure things out. And so I think okay. a lot of times I use my characters to say, to figure out how I see the world or how the world is going. So I, I feel like that's a lot of it. They And they get to Sometimes though, what's interesting when you're writing is the characters sometimes start to take over and as much as you want to control it, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. This is actually what I'm going to do. And you have to veer with them and as they go along their journeys. Yeah. So I, but I think a lot of it is, yeah. And working through something you're like the, the rock mom was essentially a woman who wanted to make love logical. So she creates a paramilitary relationship counseling service, like the team from mission impossible that you would hire to make your relationship work the way you'd like it to. And cause the whole theme was that why isn't love more logical? And the at the time I was trying to figure that out in my thirties and going, why isn't love more logical? I want to make it logical, but then I, I use the characters to think that all the way through. What if you could No, that's what's wonderful about love is it's not logical. And that's right. using my characters to think it through in terms of the craziest thing I could think of, which is that you would hire the team for mission impossible to make it work. And then come out the other end with the
0: list. What is interesting is I was, at least to me, is I was getting ready for this interview. So I followed your LinkedIn page and I, your links and I saw website and I went to Amazon and I saw that a Mission Impossible team trying to f- right. fix love. And I just hit buy immediately. Oh, I was nice. like, oh, I well, want that sounds like a story I want to hear.
1: Nice. Uh, so,
0: yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, to reading that. Um, back to music, and hopefully you're not getting whiplash from me going back <laughs> and forth. Nope. Are there albums or songs of Bruce that are there for you consistently, that you use when you're ready to celebrate or mourn or be there in your life?
1: As I mentioned, I, I love dancing in the dark, and there just is something as I talked about just joyful about it. What's yeah. funny is is some of the lyrics aren't so joyful, but it's just it's a joyful feeling when you listen yeah. to it. I'm trying to I love, yeah, for another fun it's like Pink Cadillac. It's just there's some of those well, they're just fun. You know, what I mean you just yes. it makes you just want to get up and move around. So it's yeah. I I, did, I loved that kind of the post nine eleven with the the rising was a great album, I thought, in terms of the opposite side, more Contemplative and, and yeah. ruminating and that kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Have you, did you listen to Letter to You and the covers album, Western Star is the latest?
1: I just, I listened to Letters to You today, I will admit, in okay. preparation for this. Yes.
0: So <laughs> yeah, what'd you think I, of it?
1: I enjoyed it. I enjoyed
0: it. Yeah, I did. It was fun. If you haven't seen it, there is on Apple TV a documentary about oh, okay. making it. And uh, it is very interesting to hear them go through and talking about it, seeing the guys with their legal, yellow legal pad and pencil making notes on how they're going to record. So it's definitely worth uh, checking out. Oh, I'll definitely Uh, check that out. Yeah. Tell me about making your own movie.
1: Oh, when I've been in grad school? Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting experience. Because the way UCLA, because my master's is actually in history, in film and television, history, criticism, and theory. So UCLA has five different departments in its film school. So there's production, which is directing and then producing and then screenwriting, critical studies, which is what I was, history, criticism, and animation. But everybody has to do everything, right? So everybody has to make a film. So it doesn't matter what department you're in. It is actually, I, I loved it. It is about as close as you get to playing God on earth. And I can see why people, you know, directors get big heads because there is this, I am creating this out of my own. (laughs) So I really enjoyed it. I did really enjoy it. The the hardest part, and it's the same with books, is at the end, then you show it and people comment on it. So it's a little like giving birth and holding up your baby and everyone, I liked it, but maybe the ears are too big or, and you're like, but no, this is my baby. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I I remember there was an interview Neil Gaiman gave. He was on the set of I don't remember which movie it was that was based on one of his books. And he said, I was in my study and I wrote that there was a flying pirate ship. And now that I'm on set they have built a flying pirate ship that goes this just this was in my mind and now it's become reality yeah that's a little weird right it is just very crazy
1: there's all these the difference too i think between when you write a book again you get to create the world but when you're making the movie everybody around is doing their best to make your vision come to life right so it's not just you like at one point with my little film, my director of photography is, like, what, what if we use this kind of lens for, and you're like, that is so cool. I had never would have thought of that. So you right. have everybody working toward that, which is, it is an amazing experience. So it, when it clicks, it is just, it is really cool.
0: Yeah. And I think also this, you talk about one of the things that writing is a very solo, was right. a very lonely process you're doing that. And then filmmaking is collaborative. And I remember Kevin Pollack in one of his podcasts, when he was his chat show where he was interviewing people, he said, no one sets out to make a bad movie. Like we just, you, you, it isn't like you sit there going, this is going to be a piece of dirt. You are doing your best. And then sometimes just circumstances out of your control it just doesn't work right yeah so well,
1: it's and, like it's, sometimes i read those where they break down especially some of like my all-time favorite film like airplane or Princess bride or some of those ones that i've just absolutely adored and you read everything that went into it and everything that could have gone wrong along the way yeah and yet somehow didn't somehow it worked so it's yeah
0: like one of the things i really thought was cool was when you read the history of Casablanca and you go that how many different people had to do that to make all this happen, the different people and all this stuff, I think is just very interesting. Uh, So, Yeah. 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 So what do you, what's next for you creatively? What do you want to do next?
1: Just keep doing the books. That's one of the, it was, in some ways it was very fortuitous because when I was, when I finished the War Council and my job ended and I was shopping it to agents and publishers and Four Horsemen is the one who loved it and they're saying, but here's the thing, we only sign writers who agree to write series for us because our model is that series sell and we think that works, which... For a former magazine writer who's used to deadlines, that's perfect for me because now it's like, oh, someone's giving me a deadline to turn these in because otherwise it's very easy to go, no one cares. Let me take my time. And so now that I have a book due once a year, I already, I have four out and I am working on the next one. And so I constantly am thinking about what is my next project. Again, the one I'm working on now is the Italy Affair. And essentially I have two of the professors from the first book going along on one of those alumni association trips.
0: Yeah. Italy so
1: it's a group of people where all sorts of wackiness can happen in Italy but then I'm also already thinking okay what's the next mystery because that'll I'll do a mystery again after this one okay
0: so Anne is there songs that you haven't heard Bruce do live that is still on your wish list your bingo card so to speak I don't think so
1: yeah. I think I've been pretty lucky. Cause I again I got to hear again, the one that I know a lot of people always asked for was Rosalita, which she didn't do for a long time, but I happened to do at the one concert I went right. to I, I loved all the songs he did on Broadway. I actually really loved that Seeger Sessions yep. album. I don't think he's done a lot of the I don't think he does any of those. So that would be fun to hear some of those, I think. Cause yeah. I actually really enjoyed that album a lot.
0: Yeah, I did not enjoy the album till I saw the Live in Dublin DVD. Okay, And I went, oh, man, I missed this. I should have seen this live. This looks like it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Very nice. That would have been cool. Yeah, that's very cool. So if someone wants to check out your books, Mm -hmm. tell us how. And then do you have a recommendation on where to start?
1: Uh, You can get them anywhere
0: books are sold. So
1: just, my name, you can go to my website, which is Ann Shepard A-N-S-H-E-P-H-I-R-D, as we said, very weirdly spelled.com, but they're at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your independent bookstore can order them if you prefer to order them that way. And I, I, the War Council, again, was the first one that came out, but it's satire. And some people don't get so it's not maybe as accessible i think that the best place to start was probably destination maui which is the first of the mysteries um it's an introduction into the travel world and this character when it's based in carmel and then she's sent off on her first trip so i think it's a good entry book and if you like the style then and you like satire then the war council is a it's it's just
0: fun yeah very fun very nice yeah
1: Yeah. satire is what i mean i love satire but i've Years ago, I used to teach communication studies when I was in grad school, and I just remember some of my students, like, they just didn't get certain satires, like Fargo, which was a, that original film. Some people didn't get it at all at first. I'm like, you do realize it's a comedy, right? And then, so it's interesting right. how it, people either get it or they
0: don't yeah <laughs> yeah i know that at the time they're talking about this is a true story and all this and right. stuff and <laughs> i now love that the fargo tv series still does that right the, exactly this, yeah the premise yeah. is yeah that's a great this is there something i should have asked you Anne, that i haven't
1: i don't think so i think Okay. Nothing that I can think of.
0: Okay. I always How worry there, yeah. there may be a great story that you're holding off and you didn't. It's yeah. so, okay. Great.
1: Um, I, yeah, yeah. Especially so, when it comes to Bruce. Again, mine were the Coliseum and on Broadway. And that was just, I was so happy when we got those tickets. Yeah. So
0: I bet. I can imagine. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Before I let you go though, I end every podcast with the Mary question right jay armstrong is a retired honors english teacher in the philadelphia area he is now a writer Uh Uh, but when he was teaching he would give the lyrics to thunder road to his students interesting and he would read it as if it was a poem and they would compare it to like robert frost the road not taken discuss the themes bruce is exploring the language he chooses and then at the end of the Class, he would ask his students, Does Mary get in the car? Right. And that is your question <laughs> okay. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? I would say yes, totally. Yeah. Okay. You want to give me <laughs> yeah. a reason why?
1: Just, yeah, when you look at the lyrics, she's looking, nothing's interesting to her. So why not go out and see the world? That would, that was, yeah, take a chance on this guy. No matter what, she's going to be in a better place than she sounds like she is right now. Does anybody really say no?
0: (laughs) Yes, about half people say no. Oh,
1: that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people, some people say because he called her ugly. That's what my wife says. You're Ah. a beauty, but hey, you're all right. Other people say that she's too afraid to take the chance. Okay, okay. That he didn't present a good enough case. Okay. One of my favorite answers is... Someone said if it's the band playing Thunder Road, she absolutely gets in the car because it's triumphant ending. If it's Bruce Solo, she doesn't because it's a very mournful ending.
1: Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. Is this guy one of the guys that she's already discarded that they talked yeah. about?
0: Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. I did say, I have, did, I'm sure you've read his autobiography. Yes. And when I first started reading it, I thought, oh, my God, he just is such a beautiful writer. But then I thought, of course, he is because his lyrics are so beautiful. Why, You know what I mean? But it's so interesting when you first pick it up. It's just this is just gorgeous prose that he puts out there.
0: I don't know. Did you hear any of the My Home to Yours on E Street Radio? No. Okay, so during the pandemic, he was doing a series on E Street Radio where basically he was a DJ. He would tell stories and play songs, right? And so I had Ron Marks, who's a writer on the podcast, and we were talking about how good that was, these sessions, hour and a half, and how he dealt and shared. And Ron said, we know he's a brilliant storyteller. Why are we surprised that any format that he could pick, he could tell any story he wants? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, So that's amazing. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts, Anne, before I let you go?
1: No, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our talk, conversation.
0: I did too. All right, listeners, go. It is A-N-S-H-E-P-H-I-R-D.com. I will include a link in the show notes. Go check out her book. Sign up for her mailing list. Uh, thank you, Anne. This time was absolutely wonderful. I am looking forward to reading the book. And I will let you know if the satire works for me or not. I will not (laughs) tell your baby that they have big ears. I'm (laughs) sure I'm going (laughs) to love it. Listeners, thank you for listening as always. I appreciate the support. Remember to be safe, be kind, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, So if you want to skip this, I understand, but I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at Set Lusting Bruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469 249 2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them. But if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast. That is the one, the only setlisting bruce the theme for setlisting bruce was written by david rosen used by permission
2: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football